Welcome, proud members of the present, to another episode of the Primalosophy Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Horderbaum, and this episode is brought to you by UFF, the Firefighter Wellness Program on a mission to make the best job in the world a healthier one. Go to primalosophy.com slash UFF to get started. My guest on the podcast today is Maria Noela Zosa, also known as Wei. She's a yoga teacher, freediving instructor, and trainer, six-time national record holder. You know her from episode three of the Home Game series on Netflix, all about freediving. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time to be on my podcast today. Yep, thank you so much for being really kind and accommodating to adjusting to my time zone. So thank you, thank you for doing that. Thank you for coming on the show. So I'm curious, was it yoga that led you to free diving or free diving that led you to yoga? Good question. I started yoga first and free diving, I think two years after. So none of it led to the other. So they, I, I came across them separately. So I started yoga because of an, a knee injury from playing ultimate frisbee. Mm. And I came across free diving just because my dad has been active in scuba diving and I wanted to explore the underwater world without having to worry about so much equipment. Are you self-taught or did someone teach you to free dive? At the beginning, I, I would say it was all in YouTube University. From there, and then I like learned a lot of uh, things that are not right, such as like um, hyperventilating when you're free diving. And then later on, I figured out as I took an intro class, basically a level one class, I was told that it's definitely a no-no for free diving. So I was like, oh, okay. So I was lucky enough that I did not get an, into any accidents by hyperventilating without any proper knowledge about all those things. So T.S. Eliot said, only those who will risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Tell me, what excites you the most about exploring the boundaries of your own limits? I haven't really get past that because I don't know as to how far or how deep I can go yet. So that itself makes me keep wanting to improve myself so I would know at what depth is really my limit because right now women's side in the world i think the deepest is 113 meters that's on breath hold so yeah and then i haven't like really done so much i know that i haven't placed my 100 percent yet because i know that there's still more i could still achieve more so I'd imagine in terms of the silence and the stillness that you experience when diving, these few minutes or however long you're down there is probably comparable to a week or a month's worth of meditation. Exactly. It's basically meditation, but underwater. Free diving is sort of like the spiritual side of extreme sports where the others are adrenaline packed. That's probably the last thing that you want when diving. Free diving is supposed to be calm and peaceful. So how do you get yourself relaxed and calm before you get into the water to dive? Good, good analysis. It's people think that free diving is an extreme sport, but honestly, it's not. It, it looks extreme just because you go down on breath hold, you go depths on breath hold, but you don't need adrenaline. Adrenaline is your number one enemy when you go free dive. So how do I get myself into that flow state or into that Zen mode? I just basically focus on the present moment. I don't even focus on, you know, breathing. I just really put my full attention and trying to relax my thoughts, 
letting my body relax so that my heart rate goes down and then when that happens i can go take my take my full breath and then basically do my dive and is there like some yoga that you do and then some breathing and then on the boat ride out and um, before i go out for a dive even before i haven't been doing free diving yet i practice yoga every morning and then when i started to go into free diving i incorporated a lot of yoga stretching breathing mindfulness and in freediving, we call it visualization. So we do a, I do a lot of that before my dive just to get me into that flow state. And once I'm out there, I don't try to focus on achieving my goals for that day. I basically just enjoy being out there. I don't focus on visualization. I don't think about how the dive is going to be. I just be there and try to just enjoy being there. Now, with that visualization, I'm curious, is it all positive or do you actually do some negative visualization where you think about worst case scenario and prepare for what could go wrong? Good question. For visualization, it's similar to law of attraction. So what you want to achieve in your dive, you think about it. So you try not to think about things that can make your dive unsuccessful. So basically, yes, it should be positive. There's a quote that I wanted to share from Cousteau. He said, from birth, man carries the weight of gravity on his shoulders. He is bolted to the earth, but man has only to sink beneath the surface and he is free. When you're in the water, do your problems and worries seem to drift away? Is this where you find your freedom? Interesting, because I thought that before, I thought that when I go free dive, it would take away my thoughts from my problems. But it is actually because of free diving or basically being in that very present moment that you face your problems. I face my worries. So everything that I try to put in my subconscious mind, once I'm in that very present moment, everything just surfaces. And then it gives me that permission to reconcile with the things that has been causing me stress and worries, basically. When you go beneath the surface, your problems come to the surface. There is a possibility, yes, it does come onto the surface, especially if I, this is, I'm speaking for myself, especially when I am trying to deny myself of my current problems, my current issues. I try to push it away, just like, I don't want to think about you right now, but once everything starts to be quiet, thought wise inside mm -hmm. my head, when everything is really peaceful, that's when the things that I push and my subconscious mind starts coming up. So there's no other way for me to deal with it, but to deal with it at that very moment. So I end my dive. I'd be honest with myself. I talk to my coach if I need to share out or voice out my thoughts, my emotions. And then on the next day, on the next dive, I'm able to do more. So my dives are even better. So before you dive, one breath is all it takes. One breath is all you get. Is there a specific way you take this last breath before going under? Yeah, so when we take a full breath, it's not just like the usual one big gulp. So that's basically just taking a full breath from your chest. So in free diving, there's what we call three-section breathing. So we fill the breath from the belly first. And once the belly feels full, it's a continuous breath. We fill the sides, the intercostal muscles, allowing the rib cage to expand. Once that's full, another continuous breath all the way up to your chest. So those three sections we fill with an inhale.
as babies, we belly breathe and then we get out of that as adults, but really we need to return to this childlike way of breathing and fill our bellies. That's, that's so true. It's, it's the same with in freediving. The reason why we're able to hold our breaths long is because we have this thing called MDR or the mammalian dive response. So basically as kids, we already know how to be comfortable in the water. Notice when you throw an infant into the pool, they don't panic. They just like float. So they don't have that fear inside of their head. But as we go older, as we become more terrestrial, that ability, our being, our ability to be comfortable in the water becomes put under the rug, basically. So a lot of things changes as we grow older. And you mentioned earlier that when you first started, you were hyperventilating and then coach not to. Are you familiar with Wim Hof breathing? Yes, <laughs> very familiar. It's hyperventilating. <laughs> right. So his hyperventilating method is sort of a way to pre-oxygenate the body, which allows you to hold your breath longer. And it seems to work for people. Well, when we hyperventilate, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's it's good, it's it's advisable, but in freediving, there's different types of disciplines. So there's a pool discipline and then there's the open water discipline. So in the pool, where we do static, we just hold our breath and just float in the surface on the surface for as long as you can. People that wants to go maximum breath holds during static sessions, we basically hyperventilate because again, we want to put as much oxygen and at the same time push out more carbon dioxide. It is the carbon dioxide once it starts to build up in the body, it it gives us that urge to breathe. So when we hyperventilate it pushes the urge to breathe or it delays the urge to breathe. So you're able to hold your breath longer. So that explains why the Wim Hof method works for a lot of people. So that's why in static, it's okay because you're basically not moving. You're not doing anything when you're not using your muscles. You're not burning oxygen that fast. Now, when we come to the open water, we don't want to hyperventilate because CO2 is needed to trigger your mammalian dive response. Mm. And CO2 is also needed for us to feel the urge to breathe so that we would know that, okay, hey, it's time to come back up now. Versus in the pool, when you don't feel the urge to breathe, but you know, once it starts to come, when your urge to breathe starts to kick in, you can just easily lift your head above the water and you're fine. When you're out there in the open water, when you're down there and you don't feel the urge to breathe and then your CO2 level starts rising and it meets the threshold where your oxygen levels depleted, you might not be able to come back on the surface conscious. I've watched your videos and tried to hold my breath along with you and it's really embarrassing for me. So I'd imagine compared to the ocean and the water in the Philippines, training in the pool is really unsatisfying and lifeless, similar to training on a treadmill for a run through a beautiful forest. I would actually say, even if I do it, I would actually actually say that training in the pool is like torture because it's basically you're just building, um, aside from establishing good technique, proper technique and form, it's increasing your carbon dioxide levels. So it's basically just tolerating a lot of CO2 in your body. So I, I personally consider it as torture, but I do it still. So yes, it's true that when you're out there, running it's it's enjoyable because there's something that you can see 
it's my understanding that free diving is all about using energy and oxygen in the most efficient way possible. So is it best to go slow instead of speeding to the finish line? Yes. So when we speak of free diving in the pool where we go for a distance, it's basically for both open water and pool. We want to be correct. You're correct. We want to be as efficient as possible so we don't burn up oxygen really fast. And at the same time, we try to balance out being efficient and knowing when to be explosive. So like at the beginning of the dive in the open water, the first 10 meters is where we're trying to fight positive buoyancy. We're trying to break the surface, reach down to 10 as fast as we can. So we get down to that part of the dive where we start to become neutral and then we start to enter the free fall stage. So that's where we start to maximize relaxation and just enjoy the dive and just focus on equalizing your ears basically and then on your way up that's when the opposite happens so on your way up since you're fighting negative um it, when you, since you're fighting gravity you're fighting negative buoyancy there is a little bit of effort to come up to fight that negative buoyancy just to again bring you a little bit higher above negative buoyancy so it's a combination it's a balance of being efficient and knowing when to be explosive, but not explosive in a way that it elevates your heart rate. And is it best to abandon thoughts to not think at all when you're diving and to just be in touch with bodily processes through feeling but not thinking? I wouldn't say that we push thoughts away, we not think of it because let's be honest, that's, that's basically a lie because we cannot basically push our thoughts away. So we, what happens is that since, like for me, since I'm too focused on my dives, my full consciousness is just there at that very present moment. So whatever thoughts, unnecessary thoughts that starts to come inside my head, I just let it, let it pass and then just watch it go and then bring my attention back to my dive. Because you don't want to be in a, in a state where you're, zoned out completely and you're not focused on your dive because anything can happen do those thoughts of panic and the urge to breathe ever go away in the more experienced divers or do you still deal with these as you progress and as you keep diving the longer you dive you'll eventually learn how to manage being uncomfortable underwater i used to be someone who always activates my fight flight response right away in terms of being faced with stressful situations but the more that I free dive the more that I'm able to tap into my rest and digest not just be not just in the water but also with the way I deal with my life and the way I deal with other people there's a quote from Pelizari. He said, the scuba diver dives to look around, the free diver dives to look inside. But when you are looking externally, I'm sure you see some magical things. What's the coolest thing you've ever seen below the surface? What's the coolest thing I've seen? A lot, a lot of the marine life. Like it's so fascinating, like things I'd never thought that existed. Like when I, first time I saw a frogfish in photos, they look so big. And then the first time I saw it, it was like, what? you're this tiny like everything basically that i see underwater just fascinates me it's like it's totally a different world so it's it's nice it's beautiful
and I was hoping to have you talk about the chemical changes that take place during deep dives that alter the diver's mind. Talk to me about how the body reacts in these extreme environments. As mentioned earlier, we have this reflex that um, allows us to hold our breath longer. So the mammalian dive response or the reflex comes in stages. So first part um, of the mammalian dive response is when our heart rate goes down. It's also known as bradycardia. Mm -hmm. So once basically the MDR is like um, the body's way of conserving energy so that we could be in the water and not have really low heartbeat but not pass out. So again, so first thing that happens is our heart rate slows down so bradycardia and then from there because we're going down our body starts to change so once we immerse our face in the water the it sends signals to the brain that hey we should switch to dive mode so when that happens immediately there is this peripheral vasoconstriction so our blood runs through all parts of the body into our limbs into internal organs so when peripheral vasoconstriction happens is that blood supply gets cut off onto the limbs and it transfers all the way into the core which is then called blood shift so it protects the core and it puts blood into as we go down the lungs become smaller and smaller so when the lungs become smaller there's airspace that's that airspace blood starts to move in there so that the blood the heart the lungs doesn't collapse as well so from blood shift and then yeah so from peripheral vasoconstriction where blood is being constricted from the limbs transferred to our core blood shift and then there's what we call the immersion diuresis also so immersion diuresis is where we pee underwater a lot and it's because our bladder feels full so since the bladder doesn't know that you know this is blood for as long as it's liquid we start to just release it and then yeah basically basically that's that's the changes that happens in the body when we go underwater Wow, way that was a awesome lesson in physiology, and I have never heard that about the diuresis. So when we see free divers diving, we can just assume that they're peeing on their way down. Basically, so there's two types of divers, regardless if you're a scuba diver or a free diver. So one is that peace in their wetsuit, and the other one is that lies about it. So you're obviously good at pushing your limits, but is there a thin line between crossing your physiological boundary and risking your life? I mean, how do you distinguish between fear and the actual danger? Since I've blacked out before, I know when to stop. I know when not to push. For me, when I start to feel that the contractions or the urge to breathe is really strong and unbearable, I start making my way back up. But in terms of pool, because um, underwater, usually the urge to breathe comes or kicks in when you're already coming up from your dive. Oh, okay. So you're already heading back to the surface. Mm -hmm. It's usually that case um, when you're diving underwater in, in the open water. But in the pool, you can always push yourself easily. So I mentioned earlier, I blacked out. So I think three years ago, I blacked out in the pool because I just you know, just tolerated all the discomfort that I felt. I was really pushing myself. And I, I basically was just going for the record and not 
not being smart about the dive, so I ended up floating on the surface. From what I've read, the ascent requires the most energy and is the most dangerous. Have you injured your lungs or sustained any other injuries during freediving? No, I'm really cautious in terms of injuring myself, especially lung injuries, because I don't want to not be able to dive. Well, then decompression sickness, this sounds terrifying to me. Have you experienced this at all? No, no. De decompression sickness in freediving um, can happen, but it's not the same as scuba diving that it can happen right away if you just like ascend really fast. Because in freediving, um, if you just follow surface intervals before your deep dives, after your deep, deep dives, then you should be fine. The urge to breathe hits you on your way up back to the surface. Tell me about the joy of the euphoric breath you finally get to take upon safely surfacing. Is there anything else like that? It's basically like a baby getting its first cry when it comes out from the mom's womb. It's like, oh, like, I'm alive. Like, I'm here. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. And after you surface, it's still not over, right? I mean, what's the protocol there? After surfacing, you can't black out for a dive attempt to be registered as successful? Yep, in, in competitions, you have to stay conscious on the surface for at least 30 seconds. So that means your airways, which is your bottom lip, should stay above the water for the next 30 seconds after you came up. And the deep water blackouts can kill you, so freedivers fear them the most. Have you ever experienced a deep blackout? No, like after my pool blackout, I'm always um, mindful. Once I start to feel something's wrong, regardless if I'm doing pool or open water dives, if I know that something's not right, I'm not feeling good, I just choose to be safe, I go back up on the surface. Are shark encounters a common part of free diving? And is this something that you think about? Yes, we did um, met a shark before. There was in, this was in just here in the Philippines in Mualboal. So we were just line diving. It was it was really pretty shallow because we were just by the cliff by the edge of the the wall of the the resort that we were diving at. And then at three, five meters there was a thresher shark just swimming around our dive line. So it was it was so cool to see. And then we tried to like film it film it, like take one big breath and then just try to film it. And we were surprised that it wasn't scared. So it was just allowing us to film it like watching it really gracefully. That's so cool. Now switching gears here, I wanted to ask about the three lessons you learned during quarantine, which are love is beautiful and humbling, adapt to be able to grow and let go. Let go of anything that destroys you and your peace. What were you able to let go of that was taking away from your peace of mind? I was able to let go of the part of me that wants to control almost everything I do, everything. Basically, I was able to take things as they are. And there was a dark moment in your past, which we don't have to get into, but these events changed the way that you viewed relationships growing up. You lost the ability to trust people and rightly so. Was it through yoga and meditation and the diving community that you were able to regain this trust, not only in others, but trust in your inner voice as well? Yes. Growing up, uh, I think I was um, seven, six, seven years old. Um, I, was, I was molested by a family member and that changed the way I dealt with my personal relationships. That, that just um, took away my ability to trust people. 
So it lasted for my, my ability to trust people was it lasted for like 26 years. Mm-hmm. I was just, I, I just had so much resentment inside my heart. Like everything that happens to me, I always try to blame it on my past. Like, oh, because I'm dirty. Like I'm all this, like that. So yeah, so it, it was hard times, those those years, in the 26 years. Um, yeah, and yoga has definitely helped me overcome the trauma and it was yoga that taught me how to forgive the person who did it to me, even if he did not ask for my forgiveness. So you were able to forgive this person that wronged you. Can you talk about the importance of not forcing forgiveness and instead waiting until you were ready? Yes, I like that. Um, yes, when we force forgiveness, it's not genuine. And when it's not genuine, you will always have that doubt in you if like, am I really okay? Mm-hmm. Is things really okay? Like, and then you would also notice that you're still doubtful versus when you truly forgive someone. As for me, when I decided to fully forgive and fully move on from what has happened to me, anything, my previous triggers no longer comes up. And you've said forcing positivity when you're struggling can be toxic too. I think there's a common theme here of seeing surrendering as a superpower and not a weakness. Yes, that's that's so true. I've, I always tell people to not force positivity if they're struggling. Because when you deny yourself of your own truth, that's not going to make you happy. It's not going to help you live a full happy life and it's not going to help you have or achieve peace of mind because you're basically just denying yourself of what's really there what's really going on inside you so when you when you deny yourself you you can't move forward it's like having your right foot forward but having your left foot at the same spot you think you're moving forward but you're not I saw a picture of you and Imam. What did you talk to Imam about? And what is something he said that will always stick with you? When we filmed Netflix, um, there was a lot of things that he he shared to me about um, their tribe. One thing that fascinated me a lot was because on his, I think it was on his first dive, the first day of the competition, um, he had nosebleed and I told him after his dive that on our way back to shore in the boat, I told him that, did you know that um, when you have nosebleeds, you probably ruptured your um, sinuses and it's not good. You should take a rest. You should do steam, all that. And he says, yes, I know it's not good when there's blood after your dive, but it's been part of their belief that when there's blood coming out of their nose, it's the ocean and it's their ancestors welcoming them into the deep blue. You can't help but root for him and the others to whom free diving isn't just a sport, but a means to eating and surviving. It's a part of Filipino culture dating back over 1,000 years. I mean, they, they've evolved to have enlarged spleens from what I've read, which hold more oxygenated red blood cells, which is just fascinating to me. Did Home mm-hmm. Game manage to capture the true essence of Filipinos' relationship with water? Not really. They just captured the transition for imam as a 
native um, Sama Bajau joining the competition side of freediving. So basically just um, transforming from a lifestyle into a competitive sport. So they missed, actually, if I were to um, let to suggest to them, I would ask them to maybe interview the other guy with Imam Baba, his, his buddy. So his buddy has been with him ever since before. So maybe do a lot of history, basically, from their side. What is something that you think I should know to better understand Filipino culture? Filipino culture, that's, that's interesting. Probably if other Filipinos would hear what I have to say, they'd probably hate me. <laughs> because I would say that um, we don't really have our own culture. We've been colonized by the Spaniards for over 300 years. And a lot of what we do is basically what we've learned and followed through from the Spaniards. And when you retire from competitive diving, are there any exotic places on your wish list where you want to spend your days diving for fun? Yes, I'm pretty happy. I'm spoiled here in the Philippines. Our waters are warm. We get flat waters almost all year round. So, And a lot of top freedivers, top athletes from all over the world comes to the Philippines to train. All right, Wei, if you'd be so kind as to share what's on your shelf, are you reading anything good right now? Yes, um, I'm reading this book called Stillness Speaks by Eckhart Tolle. I'll have to check that out. Thank you for sharing that. I'm reading a book called Stillness is Key by Ryan Holiday. Oh, nice. <laughs> Ryan Holiday. I'll check into that. And then if you could put a message in a bottle right now and throw it out to see, what would it say? Just go live your life and choose to be honest and happy for as long as you can. And if you could have a drink or a conversation with anyone in history, who would you choose and why? Mahatma Gandhi. I would want to sit down and meet him because I admire his, his mind. I admire his heart. I love that answer. Okay, wait. So if people want to find you, they can follow you on Instagram at yogiway underscore. That's Y-O-G-I-W-E-I underscore. Where else do you want people to go to find you? Uh, they could also find me in Facebook, uh, my real name, Maria Noella, or they can just put in Way also, Way Zosa. And basically when they type Maria Noella, there's only one me in Facebook, as far as I know. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on my podcast. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again and for being really patient with me. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media at Primalosophy. And if you want to subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Sunday Goods, you can find the link in the show notes. Shikoba.